Chapter Nine of the Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Chapter Nine: The Road to Penrith and Other Places. Nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things, and though the last lights from the black west went. O oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs. Gerard Manley Hopkins As she fled through the colored counties under the steady radiance of an August sun, Constance had within her the astonished and friendly voice of the watcher, saying, See how the splendid trees stand up in the field. Ah, look at the curves, the lines, the incredible shapes. Open your eyes, look, look! Do not let so much of the beauty escape you. Your poor vague senses are letting it slip by. It is far too wonderful for that. Seize it, feed on it. Use the best of your body whilst you can. She let him have his way with her, for she was bewildered and tired, and he, since his sudden awakening to the wonderful experience of pity, had cast off something of the arrogant inquisitiveness which had led him to drive her senses so remorselessly and exclusively in the interests of his own investigations. Now he offered her a share in his adventures. There had been a reversal of their positions, so that she was mainly conscious of looking through his nature at the world, and not as before of lending her eyes and her brain to his purposes. Her summer holiday had come, and she was out with a sense of wild freedom that hardly felt the body's weight scurrying through an incredible world. With a release from the monotony of work, there had come also a release from the craving for humanity. She threw it behind her, Andrew and Muriel, Helen Reed, who had lately made advances toward intimacy, and all the anodynes which she had clutched in her loneliness to lull the appetite for natural joy. She was eager to take up the heritage of sun and air, nestled in a corner of the third-class carriage, and let the pageant of England slip by her. As for the watcher, he saw for the first time with human eyes the most divine treasure of humanity, an earth not wholly smeared with toil, a fresh and flowery country of waving grasses set with solemn elms, of ripening harvest, rose-set hedges, and cropped downs. He and his friend, cuddled together, looked joyously and dreamily into the sacred heart of living things. The black blur of leaves that takes from its neighboring fields the very color of hope, the entangled world of the west riding where Hellmouth seems to have broken out in a singularly inappropriate place, these moved them only to a gentle interest he was invaded by a new spirit of tolerance, and she, very tired, felt something of that agreeable light-headedness which comes with a certain quality of fatigue. In the early afternoon they came to the frontiers of the north, the austere and stony country of Ribblesdale. The sun lingered south of them, in the more fertile and responsive midlands, and here there was a little cloud spread very thinly over the sky. In that cold, strong light, the rocks cropping here and there from the tight earth looked blue, pale, and curious. 
they forced themselves up from the grass with a menacing air which reminded man's body of its softness and instability they seemed to be saying verily we are the people remembering that when it came to the battle of the dust st stephen was crushed back to primal earth but the stones of martyrdom remained vera head out of the window said i think those rocks are ghosts which growl at me the watcher whispered they are your mother and your father from that womb you came out and to that womb you will return for dust is the foundation of the dream the scamper of the train brought them through the land of stone and into the country of the pine woods and constance looking with her friend at the shapes of dark trees against a brightening sky found them charged with a terrible significance they seemed the proper guardians of some immemorial secret of an ancient land a land of earth's sorcery which the scumbling brush of man had hardly touched already london was far distant already sanity clear visions and the healthy exultation of the hills began she looked forward with great eagerness having now obtained that sense of a door eternally ajar which prepares the soul for romance mystery and all unreasonable truth when at last the train stopped at their small and wind-swept station she leapt out with a clear apprehension that some mighty and definitive destination had been reached the place to which they had been brought was perched at the very margin of the fells those nude angels of the north dominated the little village faint and wonderful shapes lifted up from the business of earth and running day by day the whole gamut of prophetic emotions from the regal gloom of lamentations to the radiant expectation of isaiah driven perhaps to opposition by their splendors the sowing and reaping world which crept to their feet had a sharpness of detail that had put the most meticulous pre-raphaelite to shame the middle distance stood as distinct as some print by durer with black woods and the stripe and check of fields and hedges each tree in the setting sun was a sharp dark insistent shape one out of many scattered sentinels that seemed to guard the transfigured fells from the profane investigation of field-glass camera and exploring feet constance her luggage safely bestowed and early supper ordered walked along the high road which ran with prosaic straightness to penrith and saw this mighty panorama unrolled in its infinite detail a weary london woman tossed suddenly into this may well feel a certain flutter of the heart confronted by the stupendous sacrament of natural beauty that spotless and ineffable host which earth the virgin mother eternally brings forth and offers an oblation on the altar of life an ecstasy that was not wholly joy invaded her spirit something she knew was being offered something which her hard and work-worn hands could scarcely grasp the watcher was hushed and asked no questions for curiosity cannot survive in the presence of awe there was a hayrick in the neighboring field its patient shape responsive to the play of slanting light in the hedge by which they walked 
the sharp and eager fingers of a hawthorn were stretched out against the greenish sky its clean crisp edges were instinct with vitality and with beauty which is the spiritual aspect of intense life these leaves and behind them the teeming earth with all its children cried out for recognition to this sister of theirs this impassioned amateur of experience constance was glad with a vicarious vanity to think her mother so beautiful proud that she who was of the family might show to her visitor one of the lovelier moments of the dear earth as she lingered the sun first left the valley then crept from the summit of the hills at once the angels wrapped their blue veils around them being dazzled by the radiant sky where the game of green and rose color had already begun then the changeful play of the celestial opal immortally bright was offered for a moment as if to exhibit the true and natural darkness of the earth gazing at the magic funeral of the sun and caring little where she stepped constance's foot came sharply on some soft uneven thing that gave beneath it she moved quickly and vera forced by the gathering dusk who abandoned the quest for wild raspberries pounced and held up a few pitiful feathers kept together by that which had once been the wonder of flesh look she said what fun a dead bird you trod on it constance looked and felt bitterly grieved ashamed sickened by her own action absorbed in a selfish feeding upon beauty she had insulted that poor little memorial of a radiant life out of its corruption it rebuked her she turned from the sunset and the imperial hills that were putting on the purple mantle in which they greet the night clouds were coming to them now tall violet-gray battalions leaning towards their goal and observing a steady and unhurried march from the southwest they came and rested on the summit of the fell sank into the valleys and cast fleecy folds about the pikes behind them the purple angels muttered angrily they were preparing to pour forth cleansing waters on an unwilling world she walked back to the village and having her face set towards it where it spread itself with a northern amplitude and independence about its central green she saw it in its unity one or two lights appeared in the windows creating an instant opposition between the dark and eternal hills and this little transitory superficial patch of human habitation human dreams the hills the darkening fields were the more alive the more insistent they pressed on her attention the watcher whispered how they crowd about one at this hour she said what do you mean he answered those who came first it was she now who said i do not understand he replied but surely you know them surely you are with them if one must not be alone and if one must love it cannot be that you have only the soul still entangled in their bodies from whom to choose your friends she repeated i do not understand nevertheless fear outran comprehension he went on i see them on the hills how wild they are and how surprised at life their stones are there the little dusty marks that they erected and so they cannot get away 
your friends have made no mark they have not rubbed out the life that came before it mingles with them yet do you mean that they do not know do not see it just because the dusty covering is not here she asked are you talking of the dead she shivered a little for triumphant vitality hates to meet a ghost he answered why yes the liberated ones in your busy gobbling up of one another do you take no notice of the part you cannot slay to-night the liberated hosts are in the hills i see them at strange rites behind the hedges i hear their patter on the road oh the little antique spirits of slain children the mothers of the people the keepers of the herds they are here nothing has changed you have chased them from the cities or smothered them perhaps it may be that i am not sure because of this they are all the thicker about the immemorial valleys they come down to drink at the changeless rivers they have always known here are battlefields here in these wide valleys they surge to and fro and rehearse the great drama of life troops of victorious souls that escaped from bleeding bodies under these hills and deep in the bracken which their hands tore up to staunch the cruel wounds she answered yes yes of course in a way the past is always with us not past he said the dead have no past they live in the eternal now it is progress they are nearer to the real these i knew first before i had eyes to see the poor souls still imprisoned in their dust they have gone on they are the leaders of your army surely you acknowledge their presence surely you owe them your homage and your help she was hastening towards the friendly houses now for the twilight deepened and the conversation was little to her taste they came past the low wall of the churchyard a slab of new white marble peeped over the coping stone she did not like it it seemed a pale hand stretched out from the other side but he would not let her by he broke his exhortation and asked her what is that she said it is the graveyard i suppose he asked again is that where the worn-out bodies are put away then it occurred to her that the watcher had never seen a place of burial before for london the polite centre of a secular civilization is remarkable for its tactful concealment of the dead the mind that is bred in the hills knows no such artifice it is of the opinion of the ciliarist that it were ill to be unkind to a jonathan though in dust and therefore holds fast to this the most intimate and pathetic keepsake of its emigrated friends this church and its quiet company stood as is their usual at the entrance to the village a gentle uninsistent link between two worlds with another step or two they were at the lynch gate and saw the dim path which approached a plain doorway then branched and skirted the wall of the nave there had been here no artificial levelling of earth from its small eminences and dimpling hollows the plain old gravestones peered with a gracious and natural effect as if they were indeed at one with the land beyond the church this land rose suddenly in a slope of rough grass unbroken as yet by the making of little homes clearly an upland field had lately been added to the graveyard in the interests of a generation yet to come 
at its highest point a monolith shot up against the skyline a strange great formless thing growing as it were from the ground and bearing no resemblance to the civil futilities of the monumental mason and his art night was upon them and already the grass was grey the little village church vague in the dusk earth now seemed built of some primal stuff that existed in chaos before there was light constance unnerved by the evening's conversation would have hastened to sanctuary but she felt the spur of her guest who could not leave so great a matter unexplored he quelled her natural desire for the neighborhood of houses and living things and under his direction she scrambled and slipped in the twilight up the steep dry grassy slope coming to its summit she saw a wider sky where brightness lingered on the horizon line beneath it she divined the folded hills knew that the deeper blackness hid the woods she peered at the battered sandstone pillar which had beckoned her to this solitary place and saw that it was an armless cross once covered no doubt with the plated patterns and lost symbols of the celtic church now only retaining upon its roughened surface a memory of the artifice of man it stood upon a new pedestal and in the step of the pedestal there was an inscription cut although now the light was very nearly gone she stooped and with eye and finger traced the words this runic cross work of the first christians of our land was discovered in the foundations of the church it is now again set up by the village which it once protected as a memorial of the nameless dead the watcher remarked i knew that you were mistaken you see they are remembered after all or given a gathering place the night breeze had sprung up and blew from the hills upon the churchyard it seemed to constance's fancy that the wind was full of life antique barbaric life the life of those old christians of the hills that they were coming to a trysting place and that the watcher already disturbed them there were more words upon the pedestal and though her instinct was all for the village and humanity she made haste to decipher them that she might the sooner be gone they seemed lacking in flavour after that which went before and she deplored the uncertainty of clerical taste even when it is combined with a passion for archaeology by thy precious death and burial good lord deliver us it was only a fragment from the litany she could not be impressed but the watcher's comment on those words struck her as peculiar he said so the idea did once break through and yet you do not understand End of chapter nine chapter ten how those who lose themselves often find something more valuable that light did lead me on more surely than the shining of noontide where well i knew that one did for my coming bide where he abode might none but he abide st john of the cross the dark night of the soul nothing would do but they must go all three of them into the heart of the fells and qualify the distant glamour of the familiar touch the village produced a rough cart 
and a short thick pony of the kind that embarks willingly upon cross-country exploration and they were off in the vivid afternoon through the tangle of dark woods and bright cornfields which lay between them and the road that runs along the hills there was a little stirring breeze and the pale green barley danced in the wind with a delicate airy ecstasy as they passed so that the watcher in his nest reached out to this new loveliness with a gesture that was almost adoration the oats faintly blue with aquamarines seemed of a more sober habit they made minuet steps with tiny tossings of the head the deeper blue of the turnip fields brought inappropriate hints of the wild ocean to the least idyllic processes of agriculture behind the stately hills marched with them on one hand the sharp lake mountains on the other the fells presently they plunged to the lowest point of the valley a little breathless i think because of their apprehension of the beauty that they might find for this was a wonderful day on which anything might happen and the least credible of discoveries might be made they swung through space on a jewelled planet and it was for them that the caskets were flung open and the secret gems disclosed they crossed the beck where it ran through deep hayfields to the river beyond a little eager splashing thing that called all other children to join in its play there was a heavenly inflorescence at its margin all made up of those very simple plants which are too dignified and too beautiful to compel the casual eye it was the watcher who called his friend's attention to the dear golden fluff of yellow bedstraw and to the woundwort and betony standing up like purple spears in the soft grass then because her eyes were directed to that marvellous and incomparable population she saw with his delight to help her vision the dyer's greenwood disowned plantagenet and the towering wild angelica whose mighty branches hint of old forests made of flowering things and since respectability is no more the norm of hedges than of human life she saw also the ivory crown of the meadow-sweet that fascinating child of joy whose daintiness in the eyes of the marigolds is very certainly the measure of her sin there they were in their essential reality their unsullied radiance matter for the exploration of many eons tossed into the pageant of one sunny afternoon because he was unaffected by man's arrogant standard of size the watcher was at once satisfied and subjugated by this luxuriant outpouring of beauty it woke the slumbering virtue of humility and washed his eyes so that he caught as it were a sidelong glimpse of god it was a definitive hour for both of them this first sight of the flowered meadows of the north there life clothes herself in haste and rushes out to meet the sun in her short moment of fertility and hence the significant personalities of the plants assert themselves as nowhere else in the full splendor of their triumphant individuality they blaze forth and hit the heart which opens itself to receive that holy wound they climbed from the valley to dusty roads that ran between stone walls there they saw the lady of the hills the great wild cranesbill lifting her blue pattern to the sky constance began to wonder why she had so long neglected the easy and perfect friendship of the flowers 
it raised the heart to some lucent and gentle plane of being beyond the fevers and anxieties of human intercourse so dreaming she allowed the pony to ramble at loose rain among the tangled roads life seemed divine the future mattered little she was invaded by the consciousness of heavenly peace vera had left the cart to make dashes into hedge ditch and by-path clutching vainly at scuttling beetles and nimble flies she was at her best under these circumstances of action there the animal aspect seemed in place and nature justified the coarse and tireless frame they came presently to a gap in the stone wall and a wheel-track that went as it seemed directly to the fells constance who had the londoner's shadowy belief that all roads lead somehow to the right way divined in this byway the short cut which her landlord had described to her as going back toward the village by way of the hills she turned the cart into the short rough grass and they trundled slowly in and out of ruts and through gates and by deep dark bracken that stretched clawing fingers up the side of the sage-coloured hill soon they were a long way from all roads and other memories of civilization being indeed upon an outpost of the fells the sun sloped twilight began to come but there was no hint in their vague and wandering path of a return to human habitations the pony lost his eager and exploratory manner he lingered and stopped doubtfully the sun went and a chill came to the air then vera a little way ahead stopped to cry tanta make the pony come quicker he's going dreadful slow it's dark and nasty and i want my tea constance answered i'm afraid he is getting tired and wants a rest vera said with petulance horrid little horse he shan't be tired he's ours he got to go i want my tea then constance dragged back to the unlovely cares of common sense halted looked round and noticed for the first time their solitary position the woman and child and the weary little animal with the great and pathless earth stretching from them on every side rough billowy and very desolate she forgot that they had come but a few miles from the road she had no knowledge of the quarter in which the destination lay she did not mind for they had achieved the object of their expedition hidden in the hills already ancient mysteries peeped from the stunted bushes whispering fragments of the primeval ritual of the wild anything might stir and rise suddenly in the break for if conscious life were concealed there it was a life she felt sure far removed from the human plane the watcher said it is well to be here one discerns again the music of the stars her peaceful heart repeated it is well she was brought to a new place immersed in a new experience and that contented her but vera was not content she flung herself into the card crying querulously do let us go home i'm tired i want my tea i think it is a very nasty drive then constance suggested to the pony that his respite was at an end but the encouraging rain and very gentle lash had no effect on his tired limbs and stubborn mind he hung his head and planted his feet more firmly on the ground she said i am afraid we must let him rest a little more 
Bira stamped her foot and cried, I won't, I shan't, I hate him, I want to go home to my tea. She dashed from the cart and into the bracken, snatched a loose stick which lay there, and hit the wearied pony with all her angry strength across its ears. It leapt forward, and Vera jumped into the rocking cart, crying gaily, There, he only wanted hitting. I knew I'd make him go. The pony went indeed, a poor, bothered, fevered thing, blindly and without sense of direction. It ran with a sort of convulsive strength, with miserable shudderings and settings back of ears. So they were flung into hollows and up little hills, jerked this way and that. Constance had the reins, but her strength was no match for a frightened moorland pony who sensed the neighborhood of the fell. She put her arm firmly about Vera and resigned herself to the event. During a period that seemed infinite, the cart raced through the twilight, tilting, leaping, twisting, but by some miracle never overturned. They fled past a swift dissolving vista of immense gray fields, looming trees and shadowy corners, and past a sudden black pine wood, a thing of terror in the dusk. Far off they saw white roads that rushed from an invisible highway into the heart of a dim, failed land. Far up they saw the fell, but they were caught in the debatable land between the two, and in this situation there seemed for them no hope. Then one of the great limestone boulders that push out from the earth on the lower slope stood suddenly in their path, and the dazed and worried pony could not elude it. Almost before the peril reached their minds, one wheel met the obstacle with a crash. The cart tried to mount it, failed, tottered, and was overturned. Constance and the child half leapt, half tumbled from the low seat to the ground. There they lay, huddled in a bewilderment that excluded the more natural sensations of despair. Amidst a litter of broken shafts, a wheel torn from its axle, and a pony which was kicking its way to freedom as quickly as it might. Constance rose, shook herself, and examined Vera. Routine took charge of her, and she acted without thought and therefore with decision. The child was sobbing with fear, anger, and fatigue, but she was unhurt. Constance, suddenly alert to the realities of the situation, said to her, Stop crying, get up quickly, it's nearly dark and we have got to find our way home. She went to the crestfallen and panting pony, extricated his limbs from the entangled harness, took a handful of bracken, and rubbed him down. She said to Vera, I'm going to put you on the pony. Don't be frightened. Hold tight, and let him go the pace he likes. You will have a lovely ride, just like a grown-up lady, and we shall soon find a cottage to get tea. She dared not to ask herself yet in which direction she should go to find it, or what were her chances of success, for their course had been a twisted one with doubling to and fro and the tracing of wild circles, and she had no knowledge of the sky to help her. At this instant the voice of the watcher said urgently, The light! We must go to the light. Then she looked up and saw with deep thankfulness a little sharp star that had flashed into being and shone low down in the hills. Unquestionably it called to them, offering at least a certainty of human life, it was no great matter to quiet the pony, and place Vera upon his back. She did it, and set out to wander up the pathless fell without any sensation of anxiety. 
she was still sustained by the mystic's delightful conviction that nothing really matters in the least what funny little things happen to us said the watcher and what infinite shades of experience you have packed within the limits of this dream i like these dark and lonely places where the foolish bustling people never come she might have agreed with him for indeed the wild and darkling earth about them cried messages of wonder to the eager mind but the vague and crescent miseries of a cross-country walk unwillingly undertaken in the dusk quelled her thirst for adventure she was hardly in training and sooner than she had thought it possible she grew breathless breathlessness brought in its train indifference fatigue at last exasperation the approach to the light was very long as they went it seemed to retreat from them into the bosom of the hills it led them upwards with many miserable slippings and scramblings on the dried heather sudden sinkings into bracken and clambering up harsh and disconcerting stones to a saucer-like valley scooped out from a spur of the fell there its presence seemed to create a greater darkness a terrible and mysterious gloom there were two little hillocks at the entrance guarding perhaps the citadel of some primeval and inhuman life the watcher whispered press on press on we are drawing very near he was like a hound upon the scent eager excited but she could not respond she stood dissociated from him at this moment and felt the lonelier for his evident air of being at home she was invaded too by a panic terror for there was nothing in her past experience which could help her in dealing with the circumstances of this hour a hare sat sentinel on one of the little hillocks it moved as they came up to it and vera screamed that scream made their condition seem unsafe but they plodded on when they were come a little farther they saw beyond the saucer-like valley a narrower crevice in the hill and within it the dark shape of a building and the slit of radiant window which had been their guiding light it was the child sharp-eyed who exclaimed with a sob of rage and hunger oh tanta how perfectly hateful it's only a church after all constance then was aware of a certain sinking of the heart and a sense of helplessness a distrust of her situation which the unpeopled hills had been powerless to induce the fears of the traveller faded before the fears of the lost man had been there and left his mark and was a hieroglyphic that she had no skill to read but the watcher still cried go to the light it is real it calls us you cannot you must not retreat that drove her on and she led the pony up the last slopes of heather to the little limestone chapel which stood solitary on its knoll there was a sudden uprising of shadowy grey forms from under the wall as they came to it and a hoarse cry and a scuttering in the dusk which jarred her weary nerves and brought strange choking sensations to her throat then the frightened sheep ran toward the hills and they were again alone the door of the place was shut and through the keyhole that mysterious light looked out on them she was past further adventure and when her first casual exploration failed to discover the latch of the door she abandoned it the watcher murmured this is a place of safety all is well but her heart did not echo his words because there seemed nothing else to do 
she lifted vera from the depressed and weary pony it rambled a yard or so away stopped and began to crop at the short grass presently it turned the corner of the church and disappeared a man came out from the lean-to cottage which was concealed at the little church's eastern end when he saw the bridled pony he was surprised he went quickly towards the entrance with such rising feelings of anger and distress as might possess a lover whose secret lair was suddenly unmasked when he was come round the northwest angle he saw a figure that sat upon the threshold of the chapel and leaned against the door he perceived it to be the form of a very weary woman and a remark about damned tourists died stillborn instead he approached and said to her very gently that is lancelot's attitude but won't you come inside the watcher took constance's lips for his own purposes and whispered yes vera exclaimed with petulant relief oh here's a man how lovely tante do ask him if we can't come in and have some tea the man said poor child of course you shall be fed and then he put his hand to an inconspicuous boss pressed it and opened the church door he held it and allowed constance to pass him followed her and knelt upon the ground an act which at once made miss tyro feel awkward and obtrusive but before she had time to digest these unpleasant emotions an amazing thing happened a force stronger than herself brought her too to her knees and to an act of profound though involuntary adoration she knew not what she worshipped but knew that worship she must the hushed voice of the watcher whispered within her it is the idea she could not rise she forgot to be self-conscious she knew only that her weariness was strangely healed when she had knelt with bowed head for a few moments feeling the unseen waves beating upon her brow she looked up and saw that she was in a plain and oblong chamber built of rough stones and floored with beaten earth there were in it no pews no place for priest and choir none of the customary conveniences of piety hence the attention undistracted ran straight to the essential point to the one object which lifted the sanctuary from a squalid desolation to an ordered austerity there was at the eastern end a little table and on it a red brocaded cloth heavy like a pole and touching the ground this table bore no crucifix no flowers no candles so that constance said to herself if this place is church of england it must be very low but on the simple altar there was a curious metal case a silver inlaid with plated patterns angels and mysterious animals whose wings were made of enamels gems and gold the doors of it stood open so that one looked within as into a little shrine inside there was a rough glass cup without a base and with one clumsy handle a kitchen teacup might have provided its model but not the strange sheen of purple black and gold which ran through the glass with sudden and inappropriate memories of south kensington she said to herself phoenician i am sure of it but what is it doing here then she perceived that this antique vessel was the thing to which she knelt the link with eternity which her lodger adored even whilst she fought its influence and speculated upon its meaning it cast its spells upon her soul there was nothing else within the chapel 
unless it were the lighted wick in its clay saucer which had guided them to this place. Centuries slid from her, and she found herself united to the primitive worship of the hills. Outside in the dusk, those hills and their inhabitants were gathering, brooding above the chapel, as if they would guard its enigmatic treasure from the peering vision of the modern world. Within, she, a daughter of that world, little suited to such company and such rites, knelt with a man and a spirit who had been caught into some ecstatic and unheard-of communion by a symbol which only invoked in her the vague sensations of wonder, of desire, and of unrest. She glanced at the man. He still knelt at her side and had clearly forgotten that she was there, a circumstance which contradicted all that she knew of human life. He gazed at the glass cup with an ardent love, which was without a taint of fatuousness. His glance pierced through it to something beyond, clearly seen and intimately known. He was young, spare, vivid, superbly alive. There was a sudden shriek from the doorway behind them, and Vera cried in panic, Oh, get up and speak to me quick! Tanta, it's lonely, it's queer! There's dreadful boogies in the hills! I, I hate your nasty prayers! I want my tea! He instantly rose to his feet and said, Come, we are forgetting. There's the child to be fed. She followed him from the chapel with an unwillingness that she could not understand. When they were in the two-roomed cottage and he was cutting bread and setting milk to boil, he said to her, You are the first that has come. She replied, We lost our way and wrecked the cart, and then we saw your light upon the hill. He said, That may have been the manner of it, but it could not be the cause. And because she looked at him strangely, he added, Surely you know what it is you have seen to-night? She answered, No but I think it was real and mattered very much. Real, he said? I should think so. In the last resort it is our earnest of the only thing that matters, the transcendent link with reality. You, no less than Parsifal, have looked upon the Holy Grail. She gazed at him in amazement, and the feeble voice of common sense muttered that he must certainly be mad, or at least a hysteric of the religious type. He caught her eye, laughed at her, and said, Oh, yes, of course all-knowing people would think I was insane, but you cannot, because you knelt down. I didn't do it on purpose. All the better. That counts one to us. To us? Yes, to the angel's side. She said tentatively, for of course it might be desirable to humor him. Oh, but it can't be, you know, at least not really. It's absurd, incredible, and besides, how could you possibly be sure? There was an alarming note of obstinacy in his reply. No one can doubt who has experienced the power of great relics, and this is the mightiest relic of them all. And besides, there is tradition, and I am those who hold that tradition may be misread, but cannot lie. Here, you know, in the Westmoreland hills, was the last stronghold of the Celtic church. Here my predecessors in her priesthood lingered with their treasures and their rites, long after Italian bishops came to the north, and the Isle of Saints was saintless, and the great monastic hives had been dispersed. With them was hid, adored, kept safe, 
the lost key of the Middle Ages, that grail which was sought by all the chivalry of God, sought mystically and also sought actually because of the undying tradition of its loss. But now? But now, he exclaimed, it was given to me, me, the meanest of its lovers, to find, hold, and cherish. Never mind how. Grace did it, and that is enough. Has any man of our generation a dearer destiny, do you think? I am permitted to stand sentinel between it and a world that would not understand. We must keep our realities safe where we are able, from moth and rust, from thieves that break in and steal, worse, from possible museums. There are certain things spread up and down the world, you know, which enshrine the only secret and keep it safe. These are the most sacred of all trusts, and all who have eyes to see them are born to their guardianship. Some are in good hands, others are of such a nature that they cannot be perceived by those who do not love, and therefore they will never be profaned. But some are known only at their own peril. I have brought one such here to hide it. It is safe in the bosom of our hills, in the nest which has hid it so long. He went to a cupboard, brought cups and plates, and gave them warm milk, bread and butter, and oat cake. Miss Tyrell looked at the little neat commonplace cottage, and then at this eager man with hot blue eyes who spoke the language of fairyland with fervor and conviction. Side by side with her rebellious reason, the spirit of the watcher looked out on this new slice of experience, and he, she perceived, had left his perennial aspect of astonishment. He seemed as one who, sojourning in barbarous lands where all is bizarre and difficult to accept, suddenly hears the dear accents of home. More, hears something, someone, whose presence in that home had long been desired, long needed, but never attained. They were within the field of some mighty and spiritual magnet whose powers transcended time and space. She had always eluded dogma with an agility which she doubtless owed to her excellent education. But here, in this crevice of the hills, was something which she could not elude. The watcher cried in ecstasy, The real, the real! She raised her head with the gesture of a trapped and frightened thing, and again the man laughed. Tiresome, is it not, he said, but inevitable, I assure you, you had better acquiesce. The finger of God is not to be escaped. It pursues, it caresses, it touches where it will. It was the old and hateful message, God is not mocked. He was not. He had met her in the city. He had chased her to the hills. He waited, inexorable, behind the veil. Here there was a rent in that veil, and through it a hand was stretched forth, which offered her a gift. She was too far away to see the wound upon that generous hand, and as for the gift, a woman of her superior intelligence could only look upon it as the fruit of a fantastic, even perverse, imagination. It was merely a cup of rough glass, curiously iridescent and stained with the colors of an imperial grief. End of chapter 10